Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Avi Havivi's weekly Sidur class. So we're going to pick up where we left off last week. So I'm going to remind you where we are. We're talking about Jewish ideas about God and how they filter into the Sidur, how we understand them and how they filter into the Sidur and how we incorporate different strands of Jewish thoughts about God into our understanding of God when we pray. And we're now in the middle of a unit where we're talking about God in the Bible as depicted as a personality. I hesitate to use the word personality because personality has embedded in it the word person. But um, uh, we might say God is a character, personality, um, who has feelings. And we talked two weeks ago about God's feelings of love for humanity, for us. Uh, and then we started talking last week about God as having anger. We were reading Heschel, and we're going to continue reading Heschel today. So I'll put something up on the screen. It's the same attachment that uh, was attached to the podcast last week. Um, so if you have access to last week's podcast, um, it's the same thing. We're in the middle of it. I hope we're going to wrap it up today. And then um, we're going to take off two weeks. Next week is Rosh Chodesh. Not good timing for class. And then week of Thanksgiving, I'm going to take off also. And so we will resume right after Thanksgiving. Okay. And then at that point, we'll be looking at, we've been looking at God in the prophets. God is depicted as a personality with feeling in the Nevi'im in the prophets. We're going to shift after Thanksgiving. We're going to look at God as a personality um, in the Psalms, which is a little bit different. And just to foreshadow, and I said this, I think, last week, in general, and we'll talk about it more when we get to Psalms, in general, God as a personality in the prophets is depicted as having a relationship with um, people in general or the Jewish people in general as a group, not with us as individuals, whereas God is a personality in the prophets, in the in the Psalms, and Tehillim is depicted more as God having a relationship with me as an individual. It's the individual relating to God rather than the person as part of a group relating to God. Okay, but in prophets, we're still talking about God relating to us as a group. We're talking about God as as being uh, sometimes displaying anger. And now, without further ado, I am going to screen share. So I'm not going to reread everything we read last time. I'm just going to recapitulate briefly because it's important because for anyone who either wasn't here or doesn't remember, this is sort of the serve, which serves it up. So Heschel says, first of all, the basis of thinking about this, why does, how do we say that, how, how could we possibly say theologically that God has feelings, which he refers to as pathos, and he distinguishes God's feelings in English, he calls God's feelings pathos and human feelings passions. That's how he avoids using the word feelings and avoids saying that God is like us because he knows that he is, um, and he is at risk of being accused of anthrop anthropopathism. 
saying that God has feelings like a human being. So the way he distinguishes is, is by not using the word feelings at all. He says God has pathos and we have passions, different versions of feelings. And so step one is he says God has pathos because God is in relationship with human beings. Okay. Human beings are important to God. It doesn't mean that's the only thing that's important to God. It doesn't mean that God does not have some life of God that has nothing to do with human beings, which may be absolute and outside the universe. Adon Olam, Hu Hayah, Hu Hovev, Hu Yeh, God was, God is, and God will be, God's internality. So there may be some aspect of that, but there is an aspect of God that is in relationship with human beings. This centers human beings as important in the experience of God, and therefore God reacts to what we do. God reacts, again, I, I'm, I'm going to use this word, although it's, Heschel would disagree with this word. God reacts emotionally. Okay? Step two, he says, but God's anger is different than our anger. Human anger is a loss of control. I lost my cool and I got angry. He says, unpredictable, irrational, spontaneous outburst, whereas God's anger is an intentional, controlled expression of God's pathos in reaction to what we do. Um, don't, I don't know if we read this. We might have stopped here. We might have stopped here or I'm rereading. Okay. God's anger is an, I'm not quoting Heschel. This is, I'm saying, I'm summarizing. God's anger is an expression of God's displeasure with human wrongdoing. So God, in a controlled way, expressing something that looks to us like anger is a response to when humans do wrong. So here I'm going to quote Heschel. The word anger is charged with connotations of spite, recklessness, and iniquity. The biblical term, however, denotes what we call righteous indignation aroused by, oops, sorry, aroused by that which is considered mean, shameful, or sinful. It is impatience with evil. So Heschel is saying God's anger, different than human anger, is what we would call righteous indignation. We just read the story of God destroying, uh, there's so many relevant things in the Parsha these last few weeks, right? Relevant to our moment in, in, in time and human history right now as Jews. So the story last week of God destroying Sodom, we might call that an expression of God's anger. Okay. And here Heschel's phrasing, I think is good because we can relate to that, relate that to the destruction of Sodom as righteous indignation. Sodom are sinners. Um, we have one example of that in the Torah, and then the Midrash fills that in with lots of ways in which the people of Sodom were sinners. God reacts with righteous indignation to sin. It is impatience with evil. Although God delights in kindness, meaning God being kind, loving, although God would prefer to be loving, there are moments when God is led to the pathos of anger. Here is man, by which he means humanity. Here is humanity whom God had made and to whom God had given dominion over sea and land. Here is a people, which means Israel, to whom God, uh, whom God had chosen and redeemed from agony and slavery, a people to whom God gave God's Torah, a land, prosperity and prophets. And this people 
whose destiny was to be a witness to the living God and a light to the nations, betrayed God's teachings, turned to idols, and abandoned God. Then came a moment when God's patience turned to anger. And here's a quote from Yirmiyahu, Jeremiah the prophet. Behold the storm of the Lord. Wrath has gone forth, a whirling tempest. It will burst upon the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until God has executed and accomplished the intents of God's mind. Um, I'm not sure why he pulled that quote or why I included that quote. Is God's anger like a whirlwind. But it's not a loss of control anger. Okay, it's not like saying, oh, man, you burst on me like a, you know, like a hurricane, like a volcano. You erupted. You were so angry. This is rather controlled. It's intentional. It's righteous indignation in response to sin or evil. And Heschel sort of uh, uh, leavens it by saying God gave humanity all of this power and leeway. God gave the Jewish people all of these gifts. And so when people don't behave correctly, people who have gotten all this beneficence don't behave correctly, God reacts to that. And um, in the balance um, of, again, there is a, a uh, perception that God is angry a lot, right? And, you know, this is based on some passages in, in Sefer Tvarim, Deuteronomy, uh, you know, that the, there's a, a stereotypical view that God's primary mode is upset with us. Heschel says, no, actually in the balance of things, he says in the next session, God on page uh, three, top of page three, God's anger is short lived. God's love, God's love eternal, short lived or short lived. I never know how to pronounce that. Again and again, we are told that God's love or kindness, chesed, goes on forever. But we are never told that God's anger goes on forever. So the prophet Micha says, um, and we'll have a quiz at the end of this passage. Where do we use this passage liturgically? Mi el kamocha. Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity, passing over transgression for the remnant of God's inheritance. God does not retain God's anger forever because God delights in love. God will again have compassion over us. God will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will throw all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness, which is chesed, I believe, to Jacob. Sorry for the typo, Jacob. And steadfast love to Abraham, as you have sworn to our ancestors from the days of old. So what might this passage be familiar to you from? Well, it might be from Micah 7.20, which we say every day uh, after Ashrei, the, the second round of Ashrei. The, the, and it's the Kedushat de, 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 de Sidra. I don't, uh, I don't, yeah. I think there's a line from there, which is in the Kedushat de Sidra. Not the whole thing, uh, but this is the end of the Haftarah of um, Shabbat Shuvah. Right, the Shabbat in between Oshan and Yom Kippur. Uh, yeah, I think um, that last line, Alan, and the well, last line. The last line is there. That one I definitely recognize. Yeah, last line is there. We read the whole passage as the end of the Haftarah on Shabbat Shuvah, 
the Haftarah starts, Shuva Yisrael, if Larry were physically present, one of the Haftarah plethora guys, surely he would give that answer. And this is the end of the Haftarah on Shabbat Shuva. Um, and also, it's the liturgy, we, there is a little liturgy that we say when we do Tashlich. And we probably use this passage because you will throw all our sins into the depths of the sea, fits Tashlich, right? So, by the way, we could also cite um, Hashem Hashem El Rachum Vechanun, right, as a passage. Also as proof text, uh, Heschel does that also elsewhere about showing that God's anger is relatively brief. God's love, chesed, is eternal, right? So the anger is a brief anger in proportion, in proportion of time and of God's personality, even though it's the large proportion of the prophets, most of the prophets, because most of the prophets engage in finger wagging and saying God is angry because you're sinning. So disproportionately there's anger in the prophets more than joy but the theology is god's joy love kindness faithfulness to us is long-standing and eternal the anger is brief um and i think we we talked last week we said what is this like in human relationships it's like the relationship somewhat like a model of relationship of a parent and a child and heschel fleshes that out this is interesting um the situation of little children in relation to their parents may be described as one of complete dependence. Children are miserable when deprived of the experience of being loved. Similarly, the situation of parents in relationship to their children may be described as one of spiritual dependence. So our little children are physically dependent on us, but we adults are spiritually dependent on our children. Parents are in misery when unable to love. I'm, of course, thinking of parents who were hearing about 9,000 miles away. As a rule, the parent is more fully, as a rule, I'm going to slow down because I want you to think about this. The parent is more fully conscious of the meaning of the dependence than the child. And the parent's pain in hurting is deeper than the child's pain in being hurt. The anger of the Lord is a tragic necessity, a calamity for man for humanity and grief for god it is not an emotion that god delights in and as a mode of pathos it may be accurate to characterize the anger of the lord as suspended love as mercy withheld as mercy in concealment anger prompted by love is an interlude by which heschel means a short period of time it is as if compassion were waiting to resume. I read this and I thought, oh, yes, this can be caricatured as the parent who says to the child, this will hurt me more than it hurts you while they're punishing the child. But that is what Heschel is saying. Heschel is saying God's anger may hurt us, right, when it's acted out, but it hurts God more. Uh, I don't mind if you argue about this, but it's what Heschel says. Now, we don't like the idea, we modern people, are very uncomfortable with this idea, says Heschel. Our modern discomfort with the idea of God's anger may be seen as a product of our apathetic acceptance of sin, wrongdoing, evil. Again, I don't, I'm not going to get into politics, but, but some of this really resonates at this moment in time during the war. Our embarrassment in reading the harsh, harsh expressions of divine wrath, meaning when we read the prophets and God is saying, I'm going to send destruction, we, 
moderns are uncomfortable with that. We're uncomfortable with that idea of God, that aspect of the idea of God. That is what Heschel is saying. Okay. It's due to our general disposition. We have no sense for spiritual grandeur. Spiritual to us means ethereal, calm, moderate, slight, imperceptible. We respond to beauty. Grandeur is unbearable. Saying God is not about beauty. I saw the sunrise and I felt God's presence. That's beauty. We like that. That's what Heschel would say. You like that part of God. But God is not just that. God is grandeur, spiritual grandeur. We are moved by a soft religiosity. And we would like to think that God is lovely, tender, and familiar, as if faith were a source of comfort, but not readiness for martyrdom. There is a cruelty which pardons just as there is a pity which punishes. Forget the pity which punishes. Forget that part. The important part is there is a cruelty which pardons. What he means by that is to just let things always be off the hook is cruel. That's what Heschel is saying. It's a little bit counterintuitive. We think punishment is cruel. And he's saying, no, no, no. Just ignoring sin, that's cruel. Severity must This is the line which kind of really hit me, man. Severity must tame whom love cannot win. God would really love to to win everyone over with love. Doesn't always work. What's God supposed to do when it doesn't work? So I think that's what that line is about. So love doesn't work with Sodom. Didn't work. Didn't work with the generation of the flood. I'm just going to talk about Bible things, not going to talk about anything contemporary. Okay. Everyone draws their own conclusions. Severity must tame whom love cannot win. To those of us to whom the crimes of the worlds are mere incidents and the agony of the poor is one of the many facts of life, Those of us may be inclined to describe the God of the prophets as stern, arbitrary, inscrutable, even unaccountable, angry, mean God. But the thought of God and indifference to other people's suffering are mutually exclusive. In other words, Heschel is saying, if your idea of suffering in the world about, uh, if your idea about human suffering in the world is like, well, what can you do? People are going to suffer. The rich are going to oppress the poor. The powerful are going to oppress the power, oppress the powerless kind of the way of the world. What are you going to do? Okay. Um, to Heschel, that means that God doesn't care. Because if God cares, then God reacts with anger to that suffering. God does not react with anger. That means God is indifferent. If God is indifferent, that means God is not in serious relationship with humanity. Because God is in serious relationship with human beings, When human beings go astray beyond a certain point, God reacts with anger, and that leads to punishment. It is brief, okay, in time, in relation to God's love, all right? Um, But I want to go back to the parent line. Um, As a mode of pathos, it may be accurate to characterize the anger of the Lord as suspended love. That means temporarily 
this show has temporarily been suspended. Suspended love as mercy withheld, as mercy in concealment. Anger prompted, prompted by love is an interlude. It is as if compassion were waiting to resume. So the compassion isn't gone. It is temporarily obscured by God's punishing anger. And Heschel says, I know we modern people are uncomfortable with with this because we want to think of God as God is the God of the sunrise and of childbirth and of beautiful things. But he is saying, God is just not just about beauty, it's about spiritual grandeur, and spiritual grandeur sometimes has to it a severity in the face of sin. And if that were not the case in your theology, I'm not saying you have to agree with Heschel. I want to make sure we understand Heschel. Heschel is saying, and if that were not the case in your theology, then what you're saying is you don't take God seriously or you think God doesn't take us seriously. You take God seriously, believing that God is in relationship with humans and cares what humans do, and you think God takes us seriously, then God's anger is a necessary part of that package. God's intermittent temporary anger, again, you you can reduce it to um, a model, although it's not the same of a parent-child relationship. If the parent said, sure, just do whatever you want, Right. Heschel would say that is not an adequately loving parent that that he would actually say that's cruelty. And just to wrap it up, sort of pretty clear. uh, Last point, God's anger is an outgrowth. God's anger is an outgrowth of God's insistence on justice. No single attribute can convey the nature of God's relationship to man. Can't can't boil it down to just one thing. Since justice is God's nature. Love, which would disregard the evil deeds of humanity, would contradict God's nature. Meaning if God were all love, then that would contradict God's desire for justice. Because of God's concern for humanity, God's justice is tempered with mercy. Divine anger is not the antithesis of love, but its counterpart, a help to justice as demanded by true love. True love justifies that you punish your child sometimes. It's cruel not to, and it's not really loving, says Heschel. The end or the outcome of, he, he would call this kind of love sentimentality. Sentimentality meaning sure, sure, sure that's okay. Yeah, sure, yeah. The, the outcome of sentimentality is the enfeeblement of truth and justice. There are moments in history when anger alone can conquer evil. It is after mildness and kindness have failed that anger is proclaimed. I'm going to read the last three sentences. Two sentences. The outcome of sentimentality is the enfeeblement of truth and justice. Right? You just say, oh, everything is okay. I never get angry. What that means is that truth and justice are trampled. There are moments in history when anger alone can conquer evil. It is after mildness and kindness have failed that anger is proclaimed. I hate to end on that note, but I think we're going to end on that note. Any questions, comments?
By the way, it's fine with me if you say, I don't buy any of this stuff. I don't think God is a personality, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I don't mind. Okay. By the way, this is in, you know, God's anger. Where is it in? Please, please, please don't dump your anger on us. Where's that in R.C. Dur? It's in Avinu Malkenu. It's in Tachnun. Okay. Uh, it's in Hashem Hashem El Rachum Vechanun on the days when we say the proclaim God's 13 attributes on fast days and festivals. So it, it, it filters in to the Sidur, not all over the place. Okay. It's in the second paragraph of the Shema, right? If you behave, behave a particular way, God will be angry. That will have a consequence. Are we ending on a downer note? Someone want to sing, sing a song, sing a niggun? Terry, go ahead. <laughs> I, I guess what I'm struggling with, and um, for years I've kind of um, been rather comfortable with Heschel, but um, I guess what I'm struggling with is it seems to me that Heschel is stepping outside the continuum of human free will, in a sense, mm-hmm. and um, and uh, anthropathizing would yeah. that be the way to say it? Yeah. Um, what should be a burden on humans? It, 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 in other words, I I don't attribute evil. Um, bad things that happen to God. Um, but it seems that there's this fine line here, um, that could be interpreted as if Heschel is attributing these things to God. So, um, I think Heschel, so, I don't have a full answer to your question because you're, you're asking more than one question and they're very good questions. So first of all, Heschel would say, I think, oh yeah, we have free will and God also has free will. What? We have free will. You think God doesn't have free will? Okay. okay. Fair enough. So, so the people, God says to the people of Ninveh, you're bad, repent. Mm-hmm. And the, they have free will. <coughs> they choose to repent. God responds appropriately, forgivingly. The people of Sodom, we don't have the same kind of story, right? But I, I think he would say, you know, we contrast the people of Ninveh with the people of Sodom. Or, I don't know, the Egyptians, okay? Pharaoh gets the warning. He doesn't repent. God has God has just as much free will. I think Heschel is saying, you can't like the story of Yonah without taking seriously the story of Pharaoh. Take one seriously, you have to take the other one seriously. God is forgiving. We love that. Not always. Sometimes forgiveness is not deserved. Okay. Now, moderns, by the way, Heschel, of course, is modern. And again, Heschel um, was in America and fled from, you know, from the Shoah and had relatives who were killed in the Shoah. So it's not like he didn't know about uh, you know, the question of, well, but, but the, the, your second question is, okay, but, but I don't buy that, that all evil comes from God, that it doesn't play out that way consistently, the way Heschel says, which is what we'll talk about more when we get to the moderns, right? 
because the moderns say, I'm sorry, I understand that you are describing this system based on biblical thought, but this system, I just don't buy it that that's actually how the world works. I'm going to take it a step further, okay? Because if you buy it, that that's how the world works and that's how God operates, then you're, you are put in an untenable positions like. I'll be here as soon as you set up the water. Sorry, please uh, mute. Thanks, Michael. Mute. Okay. Thank you, Michael. Um, it puts you in untenable positions like why did God allow the Holocaust? Exactly. There's some, some book I read in school or someone did a book report on old book. The bridge over the San Luis Rey, where certain people are killed in some South American country and a bridge collapse and some friar, uh, Christian friar sets out to ferret out like what was going on in these people's lives. Like why were they killed in the bridge collapse? Right. So this leads to very difficult things, you know, survivor guilt, blaming victims. Right. So potentially this leads can lead can lead and Heschel is not here to defend himself right so well, let's just say this can lead to all kinds of theologically or morally difficult positions and positions that we would consider unacceptable okay I'll, I'll stay away from too much contemporary when there was a Massacre at Maalot in the, in the teens dormitory at Maalot years ago. I don't remember what year there ended up being some religious response of a certain religious groups in Israel of it's because the mezuzahs were not kosher on their door. Okay. So it can lead to conceptually ridiculous, morally objectionable to most of us obscenities. If you follow it all the way through as Hester Panim, we haven't talked about that yet. God's face being temporarily hidden means God is choosing to punish because someone did something wrong. So we got to ferret out. Why is God punishing these people and what did they do wrong? Okay. So that leads us. I will agree with you. I, I will let your challenge stand. And certainly when we get to some of the modern theologians, they address this. That this leads to, you know, all these things are reaction from God leads to back you into a corner that theologically and morally feels unacceptable. So I am letting your question stand. May I just follow that up? I think one of the things that I'm noting um, among friends and community is a, a, a schism between what would be a more traditional um approach theology about uh, a Jewish uh, theology about God's place in our universe and a more modern. And I'd also be very interested if this is something you would care to to share a little bit going forward in how the Orthodox, the more traditional communities are grappling with this now. With contemporary events or with this piece of theology. Yes. Right. Um, I'll try. I mean, I don't I mean, have, uh, I, I don't know how to respond. Right. I try, I yeah. try a little bit, yeah. but I'm, 
And I, there are Orthodox thinkers, I mean, there are Orthodox I'm thinkers who, who address the Holocaust. Yeah. Let, let's I, stay away from the moment, the, the current political moment, you know. There are certainly Orthodox thinkers who address the Shoah. Okay. Um, but we're not going to go there now and we'll get, we'll no. try to get there when we get right. And, and by the way, and I haven't, I haven't read, I personally haven't read Heschel on the Shoah, Heschel's theology in the Shoah. I would, I would love for someone to, you know, find, find something for us or teach us this is what, uh, I have a, you know, I have a couple of friends who are Heschel experts. We, we can ask them. Okay. Larry, I do want to wrap up. So I'm, I'm going to ask, uh, I do want to hear your question. Thank you, Avi. I'm not going to take long. I need to go back and listen to the the, the, the session missed, and also today. I'm sorry that I wasn't able to respond to your question, but I just have one observation, which may sound quite simplistic compared to the conversation you just had with with Terry, and that was, I take the B'Tselem Elohim that we are made in the image of God to also mean with all the characteristics that God supposedly has. So this gives some partial um, um, permission for us to be angry and to use our anger constructively. So the B'Tselem Elohim is not just all the good and wonderful aspects of God's, you know, compassion and mercy and everything else, but also recognizing that we have these, what would somewhat seem to be more destructive um, and we need to be able to change them for good. I don't know if that sounded coherent or not, but I was responding to your earlier comments. Pretty coherent, pretty coherent. Um, and I, I thank you. And I also want to remind everyone, you know, in terms of the view, the view of God. Again, what we're doing in this class is we're there. I hope one thing you get out of this class is there's no such thing as the view of God or the Jewish view of God. There are many different strands in Jewish thinking, and we're trying to look at them one by one. Okay. And, and this is one of the strands. And, uh, I will end by echoing Larry and say, uh, may God's anger and may our anger be channeled for the good. Amen. And, Amen. uh, God willing, I will see you for class the Tuesday after Thanksgiving. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.